Hey, Valley fans, you're listening to the March to the Arch podcast. Is your team going to win? Make some noise! This is the March to the Arch podcast, your place for Missouri Valley Conference news, talk, and takes. Welcome to episode 18 of the March the Arch podcast in this 2020-2021 Missouri Valley Conference season. We've got a great episode uh, for Valley fans today. First time guest, but we've been following him on social media for a long time and listening in uh, on the uh, media calls. Todd Golden from the Tribune Star, who is the beat writer for the Indiana State Sycamores, will join us. Great conversation with Todd. Uh, just getting to know this, getting to know him, getting to know the Sycamores this year, and just talking through his Arch Madness history. But before we get into that, how are we doing today, Baker? We're doing good. It's uh, watching a uh, halftime right now of uh, Missouri State and Drake. Hopefully, all you guys uh, got a chance to see our uh, our halftime deal. It looks like we had some technical difficulties during during it. So uh, we'll. We'll see if you saw it. If you didn't, I mean, it's going to go down as probably the best halftime show you'll ever see in your lives, <laughs> and you missed out. So, what can you do? Um, but no, just uh, all joking aside, it's good to watch a good game here. Um, it's fun for I think it's fun. I don't know. Speaking speaking about you, Vance, and this what's funny about what we're about to talk about. This is the second time doing this opening because of technical difficulties again starting our podcast. So always fun trying to be fresh the second time. But um, what I was going to say is. It's kind of cool, you and I, being able to watch a Valley game that's not a Redbird game and not a Saluki game. It's kind of a, like, this is a, just a Valley game, and it kind of goes back to, you know, back before we started doing the podcast, we used to always talk like, oh, hey, did you watch the Loyola Valpo game tonight? And it's like, yeah, I, I saw it. Me and you were the only, might have been the only ones, and sure enough, it, there's a whole world out there that is watching these games. <laughs> it's outside the Redbirds and Salukis, and even watching this game, kind of cool, um, I mean, other than uh, Baker complaining about how lo- how large the... Missouri State Bear logo is way too at, big at center court. Uh, there's fans in the stands, um, so yeah, no, they, it's got, they got a cool atmosphere. Yeah, they announce uh, about 2,800 there tonight. They're allowing up to 4,000, so that's awesome for uh, Missouri State fans. But speaking of fans, Baker, uh, today St. Louis Blues made some uh, headlines that you know piqued the curiosity of us Valley fans that they're going to start allowing uh, up to 1,400 fans. At hockey games, I know that impacts you um, twice. Yeah, impacts uh, impacts the Baker household on the ice as well. So as you all know, that I'm a big Avalanche fan. So uh, in February, uh, we will definitely be heading down to uh, Avs Blues. See my uh, beloved Avalanche try to get a couple of points against the Blues. So that's always fun. Uh, super excited that um, there's fans and I can go to see my team play a hockey game. Um, but more importantly, especially for this podcast. Um, this is tremendous news for Arch Madness. Absolutely. I mean, I'm ecstatic. Just, I mean, 1,400, that's a uh, Thursday night, I would say, uh, kind of um, <laughs> type of audience there. But uh, um, I, uh, there's, I There's I been Thursdays without 1,400. <laughs> Maybe tickets uh, sold or tickets uh, given sold, away. Given away. Um, I'm ecstatic of just the... Um, St. Louis is getting ready to welcome fans to St. Louis and specifically the Enterprise Center. Um, you know, Baker talking hockey, you know, I talked about we have Todd Golden um, off the air. They were talking um, soccer. So this is twice today that hey, that Baker has talked about two sports that I just glaze over and have no idea what he's talking about. 
All right, now based on the conversation between me and Todd, I'm going to put you on the spot here, and I don't know if you'll know the answer to this. Who's my favorite soccer team? Um, the EPL stands for the English Premier League. Correct. Who's my favorite team, though? Chelsea. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Good for going, you. I know Man U, and I know Chelsea. Um, Todd started talking about a team, and I had no idea who they were Leeds about. United. Sure. And, um, yeah, Chelsea hates them, so. Okay. Sorry, Todd. Good to know. And that's been Talking Soccer. There we go. <laughs> All right, Valley fans, we are excited this week to be joined by Todd Golden of the Tribune Star, who is the beat writer for the Indiana State Sycamores. I know most fans know him, but first time on the podcast, uh, the March to the Arch podcast. Thanks for joining us today, Todd. Thanks for having me, guys. It's uh, snowing outside behind me, and uh, so it feels like it's basketball season for once. That's about uh, the only thing that makes it feel like basketball season these two game series are weird and it's been a strange year but i'm glad we're playing absolutely i got myself in a predicament uh last night uh, i was leaving work and i had been and we i'd driven to florida about a, a couple weeks back and i took the ice scraper out and because i was like i don't need this and uh, i got outside after work and um, i had you know a quarter of an inch of ice on my car and i just sat there and froze in my car for a while until the defroster come on so that's that's yep. how i feel about the snow right now <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's uh, this is actually the first snow we've had, so it's been pretty easy for us. We we don't get the Cedar Falls experience or the Drake <laughs> experience where it's cold yeah. all the time. So we're 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 soft down here. Well, I think you summarized it well. It's been a weird season. The back-to-backs are just kind of um, a weird predicament, I would say, as a fan, uh, back-to-back uh, games. But then also, I'd say from your perspective, just covering the games. Um, can you maybe share some insights on how you are approaching kind of the back-to-back games just from a coverage perspective? Yeah, it has changed things a little bit. I mean, for the last several years, I've been doing a down-in-the-valley Um, it's kind of a blog. It goes on our website after each game. And that wasn't really applicable to doing a back-to-back. I mean, it's kind of pointless to go, you know, into a deep dive when you have another game that same day. So one thing that I've changed, and I think it's a temporary expedient, is to do an audio podcast, which, as you hear my voice, is so glorious because I have a nasally voice. But I do that after game one, and then I write the traditional down in the valley after the second game. So that's one thing that's changed. Um, From a deadline perspective, it's been easier because most of the games have been late afternoon, early evening. I I haven't normally, in my case, uh, being in the Eastern time zone, um, I'm at a bit of a disadvantage uh, deadline wise uh, on night games because those are eight o'clock starts for, uh, um, for us. So what happens is, is that a lot of times when I'm at a road game in the Valley, um, I have to send my story immediately after uh, the buzzer sounds. So I have to write during the game, uh, which I'm used to doing. It's not a big deal, but, um, you know, but it doesn't always give you a complete, you know, reckoning of the game. So in that respect, it's a positive. It's just, it's so different because um, you know, with rescheduling, like I had a Monday and Tuesday game, obviously the last two nights, which is unusual. So, um, you know, you just got to roll with the punches. Everybody's doing it in their own businesses and their own lives. So, you know, I we really don't have a right to complain about it. 
Right. I, you actually stole one of my questions because this was going to be kind of my funny question, but you led into it. So I'll go there. Um, is it, I mean, other than the deadlines, I would say as a fan, at least once a year, I get caught with the Eastern time zone, just messing up my frame of mind and yeah. I'll go into tune into a game and I'm like, Oh, it's halftime. Or in the case of last night for me, um, because it was an early start, which I kind of forgot about because I have 705 ingrained in my brain. Um, I missed the game all completely. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, I'll tell you what, when I first came to this job, um, Indiana didn't have daylight savings time until the late 2000s. So our time zone, in effect, would uh, switch. Uh, when we went into, when everybody else went into daylight savings, we just stayed the same. So in effect, we were in central time for part of the year and eastern time for this part of the year. So that was always a lot of fun, trying to uh, explain that to people, why Indiana was so backward and didn't have uh, daylight savings time. When I worked at my original job, down in Jeffersonville, Indiana, which is across the river from Louisville. Um, the immediate counties across the river from Louisville were central all the time, but you went a county north and it was Eastern time. And the people down there called it fast time and slow time. So it's, Indiana's changed that. It's, it, we're, we're on East, most of the state is, although Evansville and the region are, have always been on central time. So we're, we're screwed up. It's, I, wish, I wish we were on central time all the time. It, 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 I mean, because in the summertime here with daylight savings time, the sun goes down in late June at like 1030 at night. So it's like we live in Alaska or something like that. It's, it's, uh, it's yeah, I just, it, it, it's, it's hard just as from a fan perspective of going to games because um, it's, it's longer on the way there. You get it on the way back. But then, yeah, just once a, once a year, I always get bit by the sycamore bug where I turn into a game and I'm like, oh, it's halftime already. Right. But last question before we kind of get into th this year's sycamore team. I'm kind of curious um, from a COVID perspective, are you traveling to games? Kind of what's, um, what's your, what are you doing for games? I am. I'm traveling to games. I didn't go to Missouri State, but that had nothing to do with COVID. That was because it was a, there was an ice storm. Uh, that would have affected my travel plans, and I just decided to bag it and stay in Terre Haute and not risk it. I don't know if you guys have ever driven down to Missouri State, but it's uh, that means I-44 from my direction, and that's not a fun road to drive in bad conditions. So I, I was soft and decided to stay here. But I am traveling. I, I went to Illinois State uh, mm -hmm. for that series, and I intend to go to Northern Iowa, which is our next road series uh, in two weeks, and then. And, you know, Valparaiso is our other one. And that one's easy. So um, I'm going. Um, I still think there's a lot of value in going in person. Um, I think there's things you could see that you just aren't going to pick up through an ESPN Plus feed. Um, the post games aren't the same, you know, for the time being. They're Zoom meetings. But, um, you know, we can observe things in person that you just don't see, um, you know, on, a, on an ESPN feed. And the other thing, too, is that unless it's a national level broadcast, which Indiana State has had a couple. When Loyola played at Holman Center, those were on ESPN2 and, and CBS Sports Network. But, you know, they, these aren't produced in the same way that, you know, like a big national broadcast is. There's not 10 cameras there. So, you know, and there's a lot of things that the producers don't pick up on. You know, you're talking about home-based uh, broadcast crews. Most of them are fine, but they're not going to delve into a lot of um, – you know, something that isn't obvious on camera. So I think there's a lot of value in going. Um, I'm glad that our paper has also decided there's value in going. So 
Uh, it was good, uh, you know, Todd Hefferman, who covers Southern Illinois for the Southern Illinois, and my colleague there was at Holman Center last night. That was good to see. Um, but, you know, it's, it's something that all the beat writers who take this seriously uh, feel is important to be there in person. And we, you know, even though you don't get as much access as you did pre-COVID, uh, you still get to talk to people and you still get to, you know, check notes against each other and all that. So I, I think there's a lot of value to it. Absolutely. No doubt. I think we, and I think I can speak for Vance, like as fans, it's just, it's night, we're living through the beat writers because we can't go to these games anymore. And um, it, that, that's what we have to, to go by. Um, one thing I want to ask you before we jump into the actual team itself, um, I, I know it's been, it's been, uh, I don't know, about eight to 10 years since I've been to the Holman Center. And you're one of the very few people that have actually been able to go into the new Holman Center. Uh, just curious, uh, yeah. your thoughts on the new building and, and, and the upgrades, because um, it def last time I was there, it was definitely in some need and seeing the pictures, it looks awesome. Yeah, it's, it's significantly better. I mean, it's, it's not as much as they wanted to do. I mean, when they did the state appropriation for it a few years ago, there's some things that got in the way that, you know, they had more elaborate plans than they actually executed. There was going to be a big grand entrance in front of the building. There, there's a much better one than there was, but it's not as big as it was. But um, from a fan experience, it's more open. The concourses are significantly better. I mean, they're much wider and uh, much more fan friendly once fans are allowed in. Um, the, the orange and yellow seats that everybody loved are gone from the upper deck. I mean, I'm old enough to remember when those were in the lower deck too. I mean, it was brutal. Um, so it looks a lot better. There's a suite that nobody's using. I'm the only one using the suite right now. That's where they seat the media. So I go back there for my post-game Zooms and just lounge out which uh, is, you know, pretty, you know, they spent 50 million on the thing. I might as well use it, but, um, but it'll be a, a hospitality suite once fans are allowed in. And uh, you know, it, 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 it's significantly better. They had to do a lot of infrastructure to it. I mean, the HVAC system is where a lot of the money went, which isn't glamorous, but it was in really bad shape. Um, you know, if you covered games in Holman Center in recent years, I mean, there, you almost had to have a weather forecast for the Holman Center. I mean, if somebody left a door open or if they cranked the heat up anticipating a cold snap that didn't happen, I mean, the temp temperature fluctuation in the old version of the building, I mean, it could seriously be like about a 20 degree difference. So that's been fixed, uh, which it needed to be. It's not glamorous, but it helps. So it's nice. It's a shame that the fans aren't in there. I feel bad for Indiana State who you know, Indiana State is not flush with money, and that's a big deal for them to spend that much on a facility. And uh, I know it's disappointing to them that they can't show it off to everybody. But uh, but when people get in, they're going to like it. It's it's nice. And no doubt about it. I think it's uh, I think it's going to be it's just poor timing for them just not being able to to have uh, fans in the building. But let's talk about the Sycamores right now. Um, it uh, it was an interesting start to the especially the Valley season. Um, 0 and 4 start to the season, but since then, I mean. It's to rattle off the, uh, what is it, five out of six games for them. They they feel like they've kind of gotten themselves yeah. back afloat here in the Valley play. Um, I guess my, my biggest question for you to start off with is, um, what is different from that team that played against Drake at the beginning of the Valley season to the team that's playing against Southern Illinois last night? Um, I think the main difference is, is they're more connected offensively. Um, and the big difference in this series specifically is Jake LaRavia stayed out of foul trouble. That was something that was holding Indiana State back in their early uh, part of the conference season. Uh, LaRavia was picking up his second foul very early in the second half, which meant 
he was sitting for long periods of time, obviously, and he's their best player. They need him on the floor, and uh, he wasn't on the floor very much uh, in the opening portion of the season. So that's one thing. They're being more patient offensively. They're reversing and moving the ball. They're moving better without the ball. Uh, so that's something that's helped. Defensively, they've become a little bit better. They still have problematic halves. I mean, you know, I look back at the first game against Southern Illinois, and they were able to shoot, um, you know, over 50% for the majority of that game. I think they finished at 45, but, uh, but they were above that 50% threshold for quite a bit. So they're not a finished product defensively, but they have been a little bit better. And I think the main thing is, is that they just ran a gauntlet at the beginning of the season. I mean, they went Drake, uh, Missouri State, which is a bad matchup for Indiana State, and Loyola. That was their first three conference series. So they knocked out the – they had all the heavyweights right off the bat. So the question I had coming out of that period was, is, is ISU one and five because of their schedule or because of themselves? And so far, you know, getting back to five and five, uh, the answer has been it was probably the schedule. But, um, you know, we'll see. I mean, Indiana State's five and five. They have a chance to get back to where they were last year, basically, which was, you know, they tied for third. So, um, in theory, the schedule is friendly, but they're not a dominant team that's going to have to go in and, and can be complacent. I mean, they got to fight. And so we'll see what happens in these next couple of uh, series to see if they stay, uh, if they go back to where people thought they would be at the beginning of the season. Yeah, it does, it does seem that now that they've kind of gotten past that really tough portion at the beginning of the season where they've kind of, they've gotten to that. I think that Loyola win, I think was big for them that they almost, they were, it was just going into that series. It was almost like, I got to get one of these two, but um, I know you mentioned uh, LaRavia who, who's been awesome. I know we're both really high on him, but one player that I've watched and who's one of your freshmen, Julian Larry, um, someone that I just see when I'm out there, he's, he's the kind of kid that it looks like he can do so many good things. while inconsistent at times um, isn't, isn't quite the finished product yet, but uh, so much potential with him. Talk about his development you've seen since, just the beginning of this season to now. Well, when I could first start going to practices um, back, I guess it would have been in October, um, you know, that was the scuttlebutt coming out of the practices. You got to see this Julian Larry kid because he's out there really uh, playing well for, for a true freshman in practice. And uh, sure enough, he's out there, you know, just uh, looked like a veteran when he was out there in practice. Now, you, you know, that's different than playing in games where you're scouted and people are, you know, going after your weaknesses and stuff like that. What I like about him is that he's uh, committed defensively. He, he's an opportunistic defender, but he can also defend man to man. And those are two different things um, that I think most good, you know, most knowledgeable basketball fans understand getting a bunch of steals doesn't necessarily make you a good defender. I mean, uh, but he can defend uh, in addition to getting steals Offense is his problem. I mean, he, he could distribute the ball, but he's not a shooter. Uh, he's not close to being a shooter yet. And the problem he ran into once he got into conference play is, is you know, the Drakes and the Loyalists saw enough film on him and just backed off of him. And, I mean, really backed off of him, like leaving him open five feet out on the perimeter backed off. So Julian had a lot of trouble with that because that had never happened to him in his high school career. So uh, he struggled for the last, uh, and, and in fact, lost his starting job uh, trying to contend with how he handles that as a point guard. Last night might have finally been his breakthrough because he did finally hit a yep. couple three-pointers against SIU 
And then that got him driving a little bit too. He drove to the lane and converted a bucket. So if they can get any offense out of him at all, they're going to be a lot more dangerous because he does all the other things a point guard uh, is supposed to do. Yeah, I think with uh, Julian, I think you just see someone with tremendous about, amount of upside with I mean, and, and the, like what you said about him playing defensive basketball, I mean, someone who's starting to be locked in as a freshman, that's almost one of the hardest times to, to really get you locked in, and especially if you're not scoring the ball, to see him still out there playing good defense. Yeah, I agree. I think last night was probably maybe the breakout for him to, to kind of take that next step as kind of similar to like Lance Jones of last year where kind of middle of the season he kind of had a, a breakout game and he would he started kind of picking it up. Um, overall thoughts, though, um, just your opinion. What do you think the uh, the ceiling is for the Sycamores this year as we're about halfway through the season? Uh, or actually, we are halfway through the season. What do you think the ceiling is, and, and, and where do you think the basement is for this team, at least from a Valley perspective? <laughs> That's always a great question for Indiana State because it's a very wide variance uh, uh, depending on the year. I don't think they're going to challenge Drake or Loyola. They're, they're, they've already put enough distance uh, between themselves and Indiana State up near the top of the league. Indiana State loses a tiebreaker with Missouri State. They got swept by the Bears. Um, and I think Missouri State's a, a slightly better team than Indiana State anyway. Uh, so I'd say fourth uh, is certainly a legitimate target for Indiana State, if not a target they should hit. Um, the bottom, I mean, they're better than Illinois State. They're better than a wounded Northern Iowa team at this point. Um, but they're certainly, you know, if things go wrong, they're, 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 you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that they fall into Thursday in St. Louis if things go wrong. What's so weird for Indiana State is, is they played the maximum amount of games in the Valley. They played 10. Um, so they have... At this point, they're five and five. Only one team has more wins, and I think only one team has more losses than Indiana State. So they're going to do a lot of scoreboard watching, seeing what happens to the teams around them. Because you look at, like, say, I think Valpo right now is what two and three. I want to say I have the standings up here. Um, so you know, using a soccer term, they got a lot of games in hand, and so who knows what happens? I mean, Valpo's playing like twelve games in February. Um, you don't know what effect that's going to have. Um, you know, I don't think the Valley is going to complete its whole schedule. So who knows if it goes to winning percentage and stuff like that. So there's a lot of variables, but um, Indiana State in some ways, you know, the, to get the sweep over SIU is big because they had to put themselves in that position. But uh, there's still a lot that can happen that's going to send them up or down. And some of it is out of their, their control. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think for me, they're in that mix of, um, that they could potentially fall to that seven seed with, I think, three teams probably locked into Thursday at this point. But I mean, I think that the last couple of weeks for Indiana State has shown that, you know, this team is better than that, you know, 0-4 start that they had in league play. Um, the last question before I let Vance close us out um, is about the season as a whole. And I know kind of something Vance and I on this episode are going back and forth on, have we become a two-team race at the top of the league? Um, just kind of your overall thoughts on the Valley as a whole. Um, it, from our perspective, we think the league's a lot better this year. There's there's two teams that are really there right there at the top. Um, do you see it as a two-team league and then thoughts overall on the Valley? I do today. I mean, Drake is in right now if, this, if the tournament is picked today. Loyola's I, – I didn't check the net today. Last I looked, they were floating around 30. Um, should be good enough. The only thing I worry about, and it's a historic worry with the Valley, is neither one of those teams have 
a signature win. You know, Drake hasn't played a tier one team at all. They will when they play Loyola. Uh, Loyola, I think, is 0-1 against tier ones. And I worry a little bit that that's going to be used as a tiebreaker against a Valley team when it comes to an at-large. It would The best scenario for the Valley, if the season ended today, is Loyola wins the tournament and Drake gets an at-large. That's basically there for them. If it's the other way around, it's going to be like if Drake wins the tournament, then it's going to be a little bit more of a dicey proposition. So, but I do believe the Valley deserves to. I think this is, you know, having this is, I guess, what my 17th year, I think it is. I've lost track covering the league. What you want is the right kind of balance. I mean, you want a couple power teams up top. You want some good in the middle and enough, you know, dross down at the bottom to, um, you know, make sure that teams are getting wins and not getting beat up. So in that sense, the Valley probably has the right balance this year. And they could, this would be a wonderful year for them to get a multi-bid uh, season because of the financial aspects of uh, having the tournament and the, and the, you know, the units and things like that. So um, I think it's in the cards right now, but, uh, but we'll see. Yeah, I, wanna jump right. in. I got one more quick question before I, cause I just thought about something and you were talking about the, the balance with the league and, and I got one that just kind of came to mind because of all the shuffling with the Ohio Valley, um, them losing a couple of their teams to the Atlantic Center or potentially losing a couple teams. Just your thoughts as someone who's been covering the, the league for so many years. Um, do you think that we're, we're at that point where the Valley should be looking to maybe expand or, um, what are your thoughts on expansion? I know that that's kind of becoming, it's coming back up to the surface a little more now, especially for the mid-majors where teams are starting that carousel. So um, is this is this the time, do you think, for the Valley to look into that? Well, I've always been an advocate for for adding teams. Um, I wanted them to go to 12 when Wichita left. I thought Murray State is a, is a no-brainer. And we'll see, maybe they become available again with some of the turmoil in the OVC. Um, the trouble is, and it's a legitimate question, is what you add as the 12th team, um, because there isn't as easy a candidate out there. It just depends on where the Valley wants to go with its geographic footprint. I mean, there's teams east of us that are worthy of being added, like Wright State or Northern Kentucky. I don't know what their interest would be, but they would fit the, the blueprint of what this league is about. I think it's all in the air. I mean, until uh, something is decided on the leadership of the league going forward with Doug Elgin retiring, um, that's going to play a big role in uh, what happens. And of course, some of the things that are outside of the Valley's control, where, what happens with the governance of the NCAA, whether the Power Five splits off, what happens with football, all those things come into play um, in terms of where the Valley might be. Because the one thing that is interesting is that if football uh, splits up, uh, and the power five break off and then there's a second tier that essentially is in the next, you know, the next five conferences that changes the calculus a little bit for the football dynamic. And then the Valley football suddenly would want to be in that second tier as well. And if that were to happen, that would be interesting for the Missouri Valley conference, the non-football version, the regular Valley, uh, because then suddenly the Valley is on par football wise with, with conferences like the Mac and things like that. So that, that's just a scenario that's not in the cards. It's just, you know, I'm just talking, but um, there's a lot of things at foot that will influence uh, whether the league expands and who they would go get if they did. I think it's uh, whoever we have uh, replacing uh, Commissioner Elgin has their work, out, work cut out for them. And I think it's going to be a very active off season uh, across the NCAA. And uh, it's 
probably going to trickle down into the Missouri Valley. So you led into it. You said you've been covering uh, the Sycamores for a while. I think it's been since 2004. And I right. always love talking Arch Madness. I mean, name of the podcast, March of the Arch. And so I'm always curious about any good stories, any years that stick out for you. Um, I'm assuming 2011 is going to rank right. very highly for you. Um, so just kind of open it up, you know, favorite Valley, mo Valley Conference tournament uh, moments. Well, you know, 2011 is a very special because that's sort of mine, you know, for lack of, I mean, I hate to internalize it and make it sound egotistical, but, you know, every year when I go to St. Louis and I see the banner that they hang up with all the, the champions on it, I look straight at that 2011 one with Indiana State on it. And of course, I had nothing to do with it. I didn't play, but, um, but I do have some fond memories of that. Um, that team wasn't expected to win it that year. They were a three seed. Um, they won a buzzer beater at the beginning of that tournament that Indiana State fans remember. Probably a lot of Valley fans don't. They, Jake Odom hit a buzzer beater to beat Evansville in the first round. Um, and they beat Wichita State in the semifinals. That was, a, that was unexpected. And then um, clamped down to Missouri State in the championship game to win that one. I, I think that's remembered differently by Valley fans than it is Indiana State fans because that was a weird year for ISU. They, they actually were in first place in the Valley midseason. Then they had a five-game losing streak, dropped down into the league, and then actually started to play better right at the end and finished in third. So that team probably reached its potential more in the Valley Tournament than it did otherwise. So that was fun. My favorite game, though, was in 09, and that was the Wichita State-Creighton game, the Booker Woodfox buzzer beater, which was a great game. I mean, uh, Creighton was th – that was before Wichita was Wichita. I mean, they were – that was Greg Marshall's second year. I believe they had come out of the play-in that year or or were lower seeded. Maybe they were six seed. I'm trying to remember. They, yeah, they must have been a six seed because that was the last game of the night. Um, so they weren't, you know, undefeated Wichita yet. They were still progressing. Creighton was, you know, uh, a power, you know an established power. Uh, took a big lead in that game, and Wichita State rallied and actually took the lead late in that game, and then Creighton beat them on a disputed buzzer beater at the end. The game itself was awesome, one of the best games I've seen. The postgame afterwards, where Greg Marshall was in uh, full-on black hat mode in those days, he was against everybody. Uh, the scene in the hallway down at, 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 in St. Louis was uh, worth the price of admission. It was uh, uh, very contentious, uh, very heated. Uh, at one point, they were going to ask me to go in and do the pool media thing where I went in and looked at a replay to see if the shot uh, had gone off in time and whether the clock had been started in time when it was inbounded. Um, and I was prepared to do that. And then they said, no, let's have an Omaha and a Wichita representative go in there and look at it together. So I got out of that duty. But um, that the drama that was included in that game, both the game itself and the post game was uh, – was a lot of fun. The, the other memory I have is in 06, or no, I'm sorry, 07, when Royce Waltman uh, left as coach. And that was a tough moment because his press conference has since become a little bit famous for some of the things he said afterwards. But the original question that prompted all that was basically confirming a story I had written that he was gone as coach. And I wasn't really sure how Royce was going to react to that. And he could have lit me up in that press conference and said, no, I'm denying that uh, that report is inaccurate, uh, even though it was. And instead, he went the other way and admitted he was going to get let go and went into a long um, thing about coaching and how 
it's a business. Now. So um, those are some memories. It's always fun to go to St. Louis. I, unfortunately, I don't. Th I feel like COVID is going to take a little bit away from Arch Madness, the fun of it this year, but it'll still be good to go. And uh, we'll see. Always uh, worth a lot of memories. Actually, last year's Loyola Valpo game was another great one. That was that was a really good game too. So a lot of fun. I know. I uh, am fingers crossed that uh, we will be in person there um, and that uh, fans are allowed to some extent. And I mean, it is always it's my favorite weekend of the year. Um, and it's just the memories uh, I have through childhood. And uh, it's just a big part of uh, who I am as a Valley fan and a Saluki fan. So I uh, love grabbing stories from uh, those that have um, you know been covering it for so many years. But thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Um, where can people find you? Well, they can find me at uh, tribstar.com. That's where all of my stories run. And then I'm on, on Twitter at Tribstar Todd is my Twitter handle. So those are the main ones. And the Down in the Valley stuff uh, runs on the Tribstar website, whether it's my podcast, which is uh, amateurish and terrible, but uh, or my blog, which is slightly less amateurish and terrible. So, uh, but no, that's where you can find it. And uh, really uh, thankful for all the people who, uh, who read it or listen to it. Absolutely. Well, Valley fans, once again, Todd Golden from the Trib Star. And thanks again for joining us and hope to see you along the way. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. All right, Valley fans, let's get into some games and uh, cover the weekend happening starting on Saturday, January 23rd. Before we do that, though, Baker, it has been an awesome week. We've got five straight days of games that we're not used to, which is kind of cool. Yeah, this is pretty awesome time to be a Valley fan. It's kind of weird actually seeing the schedule and like game, 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 game. It's pretty awesome. I know. Um, so let's let's start with. Uh, do you Saturday. want to get the news first, though? With yeah, the, let's with do the, news. Let's, let's let's talk about the Ohio Valley. Um, your thoughts? They're losing two teams. So it's Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State. Correct. Jacksonville State, big football uh, school for the Ohio Valley. And, uh, Eastern Kentucky is as well, right? The uh, Colonels or whatever? I think so, but Jacksonville State's kind of I there. know Jacksonville State yeah. is, yep. Um, but I'll toss to you first before I go. Um, your opinion on how this, because nobody cares about, like, the people listening to this aren't going to care about the Ohio Valley. They're going to care about the Missouri Valley. Yep. How does this affect the Missouri Valley? So I think it definitely impacts it if it happens, right? They're going to the Atlantic Sun or... Right, yeah, and yeah. nothing's official. I think it's yeah. kind of, I think it's quote-unquote official. Yeah, so I think this is huge um, for multiple reasons. Uh, Ohio Valley starts, is thrown in a little bit of a fluster, uh, losing two teams, especially football, like a, a football-dominant team. Um, so I think there's repercussions on the Missouri Valley for one Missouri or uh, Murray State. Um, I think that's the one team that everyone's going to point to and be, be like, are they upset about losing a like I would say a football foe that is of the same level of them because everyone knows Ohio Valley top to bottom the disparity is huge um, both sports basketball and football Correct. Um, whereas Missouri Valley football is a little bit more balanced uh, basketball obviously more balanced so I think Missouri or uh, I keep saying Missouri State because we're watching the Missouri State game Murray State uh, the one in Murray Kentucky the racers or thoroughbreds uh, for their baseball team um <laughs> is the one that is kind of like the um, the bride left at the altar right now. And I think they might be looking to move. But on a Valley note, we, we won't have a commissioner probably to execute um, any type of, I don't know, um, conference realignment. And then also, I, we thought, I thought, 
Um, there, this would be a relatively quiet NCAA conference realignment year because of COVID, and it put a lot of things in the back burner. But if some of these smaller schools are making moves, I, I don't see us sitting back. The I think the interesting piece is that it's kind of like maybe the first domino in the mid-major mm-hmm. carousel of movement. Um, and I think it actually, I think it push puts pressure on whoever is the replacement for Doug Elgin because um, I think in a situation like this, when you have a league that's so strong basketball-wise and you have opportunities to grow, because I think that now it's an opportunity to grow um, because we have 10 solid, 10 solid institutions in the Valley, um, it's going to be a lot of pressure on him to find the right fit. Um, I mean, I think I think any Valley fan would say the 11th team. If we if we ever went to 11, like the the obvious team is Murray State. Yep. Um, I think the question, and we brought it up to Todd too, um, is who's team 12? And I know you hear Belmont, you hear UW Milwaukee, you hear Omaha. Like you, there's all these. You, I've heard like 15 different teams, mm-hmm. and so I think it's I, I just think it's an interesting spot. But I do, um, if you had if I guess I, my, the answer to this for me is no. But I'll throw the question to you before and let you answer it and kind of go off of it. Do you think the Missouri Valley Conference will be 10 teams two seasons from now? Great question. Um, I kind of pause there. I think this is the most... For men's basketball, sorry. For, oh, yeah, for men's basketball. Um, I would say this is the first time our hand is going to get forced instead of a team left us. So are we going No, I think our be... hand is not being forced. I think I think this is the opposite. Oh, sorry. Yes. This is the first time we're not Are we being... proactive? Yeah. Because of a I would say a comparable team is probably going to be unhappy with their current situation. Mm-hmm. I would say Murray was never unhappy. They just always wanted to come to the Missouri Valley. So That's true. we were never we didn't have to be reactive to anything or proactive to anything. No, and I think we're happy with Val- I mean Valpo yeah. Valpo and Loyola have been great additions to the Valley. I think I think last year like like we said that was the the moment Valpo became, you know, really cemented in the Valley and um but I mean honestly at, at this point do you maybe want to become that quote unquote like super mid major? Like, kind of like how you know the A10 is ballooned up to what I think either 12 or 14 teams it is now. Um, do you want to try to be the Midwest version of that and try to get the best possible basketball programs in your league mm-hmm. at a mid major level in the Midwest? I think you do. Yeah, I personally, as a fan, I would love to see a Murray State, but then then again, like it's always that big question. Is Belmont the next choice? Like, going and getting the Nashville market, is yeah. that the next choice? Is Milwaukee like who? The, the Team 12 is always the question with the Missouri Valley. I know. Uh, so we'll see how it goes, but um, it, it'll be a lot of speculation. It's just I can't believe it happened in this current environment. Yeah, and, and just because it, had, because it happened in the current environment in a mid-major level, I mean, I can't imagine that the major, the power 5, 6, are not starting to think, okay, what do we need to do? Is there is there Maybe there's conversations going on there. I can't imagine there's not. Right. All right, let's get in some real games. Uh, we can get off of our uh, kind of soapboxes and d- daydreaming um, aspect here of um, a non-10-team league. So let's go to Saturday, January 23rd. Uh, let's start with, I mean, we have to because that's the only game on Saturday, January 23rd, uh, Valpo at Illinois State. Uh, that is a sweep. Uh, Valpo went to Redbird Arena and got two wins. Uh, first one, Valpo 69, Illinois State 60. This is a sixth straight win over Illinois State. Uh, snapped a five-game losing streak for the Crusaders and an eight-game road le- losing streak for them. 
Uh, Valpo jumped out to an 8-0 lead and limited uh, Illinois State to eight points in the first 10 minutes, and they're up 13 at half. In the second half, Illinois State chipped away at the lead and got it down to five, but just couldn't get over that hump, um, as you know, Baker. Uh, for Valpo, Donovan Clay and Aaron Gordon um, both had a double-double. Kind of cool. This was the first time uh, two Valpo players had double-doubles in the same game since 2017. And then for Illinois State, kind of the normal uh, players here, Horn 19, Mahorsik 15, and Reeves had 10. In the next day action, Valpo got another win. Four-point win, 70-66 uh, over the Redbirds. Um, Really cool thing. Uh, it was kind of a new day, new contributors for the Crusaders. I know Paul Warren was kind of hearing that on his articles and just um, on the various podcasts around the league. Um, it, that it was basically the different people stepped up to get the win. Um, Cricky had a career day as the Crusaders completed the road sweep. Um, they were up as much as 16, but let the Redbirds back in the game late, mainly due to big buckets from uh, DJ Horn. Redbirds took the lead uh, with 2.27 to go, but Cricky and Clay made two huge buckets and uh, kept the clock running uh, with offensive rebounds. Uh, numbers behind Cricky's career day, he had 25 points, 15 rebounds on 33 minutes. Uh, Daniel Saki added 16 points for the Redbirds. Horn with 20, Reeves with 18. Baker, thoughts on your Redbirds? Um, let's talk about Valpo first, actually, before we get in the Redbirds, because... Um I mean, they won two games. Like, in this league, I think winning two games, uh, especially not in your building, even though there's no fans, I mean, hats off to Valpo, um, especially because they had some um, some interesting news earlier this week with uh, one of their players leaving the team. Um, just from a game standpoint, in the first game, it was kind of one of those, Valpo jumped out early and it never looked never looked back, and it was literally controlled the whole game and it never felt like illinois state was ever making a run in game one where they were going to come back i know horn had a decent game but um you know valpo would just illinois state would hit a shot valpo would hit a shot illinois state would hit two shots valpo would hit a couple shots and it was just kind of it was just like you were running in mud it was just like you couldn't get out of it um in the second game it was a little bit better for the redbirds uh, the big problem was they got down early in the first half and they just and it's been a problem for Illinois State in some of these games where they get down early. Um, in this game, a little bit more encouraging that they had a um, they fought back. They had a solid second half, I'd say. Um, came all the way back. I think I want to say they they had the lead for maybe like a half a second um, late in the game, but just couldn't close the deal. Um, Cricky was awesome. This is you just got to take your hat off to um, to Matt Lodick, Vance. I think it's just. To go on the road, um, get these wins because, I mean, let's face it, this team was, they were up against it. Well, we said before this series uh, when we were previewing last week that this was going to be a big one that if they split, I mean, unfortunately, I kind of think we we both said that this kind of solidifies both teams in Thursday. This gives Valpo some wiggle room. I mean, they're 2-3. and three. They've only played five games. I mean, them and Drake, I mean, Drake's playing right now. Um, five games is all they've played. Uh, Southern only behind them with six games. So they've got some wiggle room now. This 100% Illinois State is playing Thursday. Uh, barring, obviously, a winning streak that we unforeseen. <laughs> no doubt about it. Um, and, and, and I think, before I, before I say anything more about the Birds, um, Nick Robinson has, has decided to um, forgo the rest of the season due to COVID. Um, so I wish him, hope we wish him nothing but the best going forward in uh, his situation. 
Um, but I think it's I think it's impressive to see the team rallied, um, went and got two Ws. So um, really good from Valpo. Uh, as for Illinois State, I mean it's this was one of those times where we went we were literally coming off that great win against Bradley, um, where they looked awesome against Bradley, your rival, you. You have all this momentum, and it's just like to come lay two eggs. It's it's hard. It's hard to watch. And um, like I even was telling you, Valpo was not playing well. Gosh, if Illinois State can get both of these games, maybe they're thinking not beyond Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after this game, it's like, I mean, there's no doubt about it. They're going to Thursday. All right. Last thing before we move on to Loyola Bradley, um, got a little bit of publicity just on social media if you're on that in a valley fan um around illinois state baker yeah um head coach of the redbirds uh dan muller went on twitter and uh he broke his quote-unquote twitter silence i guess um and uh what he said was i've been off social media since august figured i should jump on and send one message I know that we need to perform better. That's my job. No one is more disappointed than I am, but I love these young men, and all, and they all have bright days ahead in the red and white. I am blessed to be their coach. What did you think, first off? Because I'm obviously I'm going to have a bias, a different come from a different light as a Redbird fan, but as a non-Redbird fan, what do you think about a coach going on Twitter and posting that after getting swept by the last place team in the league? Um... So it's more of like, I think he's been vocal about not getting on Twitter. So I think that kind of stands out. I don't hate it, though. Um, I, I honestly have not dove into um, just Twitter in general on certain teams. Um, it sounds like there's a very active uh, minority in uh, on Illinois State's um, Twitter feeds. Uh, but... Um, don't hate it. I love that he's backing his players. That's my biggest takeaway. Is I'm, I'm glad he's backing his players, um, but I, I I'm indifferent on it. So, as an Illinois State fan, I'm I'm proud of him for owning it himself because I think that's what he did, um, and I'm glad that he's taking he's got the back of the players. But um, at this point in the season, I don't think a tweet is is what he needs to be worried about doing. Um, uh, now it's, he's got to show it out there. Like this is the this is that time where where Illinois State fans will, with the amount of talent that they have, a lot of young talent that they have, Illinois State fans are going to forgive him a lot more. Yeah, especially you know as long as we're seeing them um, fighting every every game. But I don't know. He's it's a tough spot for him because he's coming into his third. You know, it's it's kind of been a decline over the last three years mm-hmm. for him. So. Um, I get it that he maybe thinks he needs to say something. I personally wouldn't have. Yeah, I think silence was the best option. I think silence here. was the best option here because now you open up the criticism. Because I mean, like, we're we're not we're never going to come out here and talk talk about coaches' jobs or anything like that. That's not what we do. But um, like, there's a lot of he gets a lot of criticism, and yeah. I think that this just kind of adds to it. Yeah, and we I think we all can agree out there that at a a general level this is not missouri valley this is just in general social media can be accessible now yeah, you, no now doubt. you've opened yourself up to the cesspool no doubt and i even sent a tweet out the earlier because i was said you know i was proud that he he got out there and he he owned it himself but um at this point now the talking's over it's time to get out there and let's see it on the floor so yeah, um and i think that and i think if you asked you know majority redbird fans they probably say the exact same thing because no everybody i think any redbird fan if you ask them, they want Dan Muller to be the one to lead them to the tournament again. 100%. Like this is like he is the he is so loved 
by yep. Redbird Nation. So, um, and, so I, many, and I feel that way too. You've heard me talk about yeah. them on the podcast many times. There's so many parallels for me with what you're going through with uh, Coach Muller and um, Chris Lowry at SIU. A lot of parallels here. Um, it's the native son. You want them to be successful. It just sucks when you're not. And unfortunately, there's some area of grievances. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's move on to probably the most um, looked at series of the weekend. This was a Sunday-Monday tilt, Loyola versus at Bradley. Um, so Loyola got a sweep, a road <laughs> sweep. Uh, Loyola winning the first game 69-56. I mean, all you have to do here is look at the halftime score, which was 43-19. to um, To get there, Loyola started the game 22-2 to in the first nine minutes. In the second half, the Braves had some upside with an 18-4 run and got it within 11, but that was it uh, for any type of late-game theatrics. Uh, for Loyola, Kretwig had 19, Ugak had 13. Kretwig played 29 minutes, which I thought was kind of interesting, um, just on a back-to-back when you're just beating the brakes off of um, a, a conference foe. Um, for Bradley, Childs had 18. Um, in the second game, um, more close game. Uh, Loyal won 65-58. Bradley started off on an 8-0 run, kind of the opposite of the, the night before. And the Ramblers were down four at the half. Uh, a three kept them in the first half with six. Uh, sorry. The three um, right before the half kept them um, in the first half with six of their eight field goals coming from three-point land. So basically Loyola shot it well from three-point land. What I was trying to say there. Um, in the second half, Bradley led by 10 with uh, 16 minutes to go. Um, they were down seven with seven to play. The Ramblers went to work. Uh, the threes were raining down with a 12 to 2 run with three straight uh, three pointers by Kennedy, Norris, and Clemens. The three by Clemens gave Loyola the first lead of the game right before the last media timeout. Shawnees for Bradley kept the Braves within striking distance until Marquise Kennedy had back to back buckets to get the lead to five, and Bradley couldn't surmount that lead, losing 65-58. to For Loyola, Marquise Kennedy off the bench had 18 points and nine rebounds. Clemens had a season-high 15. Bradley, um, first sweep for them um, in the two-game format. Nolan Jr. had 17. Childs had 12. And this is a 16-straight game with double-digit points. Um, so let's talk about the first game. The... I was incredibly disappointed on about. Okay, by the way, before we start, Boya and Henry both out for the yeah. for Bradley, um, two huge contributors. Um, so that's tough, especially when you got Cameron Crowwig and the firepower that Loyola comes in with. That being said, coming off of a loss like you did to your rival, where Illinois State beat the brakes off them in the second half of that game, um, I was really disappointed in Bradley in the first game because Loyola kind of just punched him in the mouth, and it looked it was like. Bradley just kind of took it, and they – I mean, that game wasn't that close. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second game was a little different. Bradley actually controlled the game for the most part, but it was a weird end – like, toward the end of the game, it maybe – I think Loyola just kind of locked in, and Bradley just went ice cold. They In the last seven minutes-ish of the game, they only scored eight points. I mean, it was – when you're playing a team with the firepower of Loyola, you cannot do that. That's just um, – it is – you're just not going to win very many games. 21-8 to eight to end yeah. the game. Um, I mean, Loyola's, Loyola's just really that good. Marquise Kennedy had, like, the game of his life. He was awesome down the stretch for them. Um, it was a... Bradley needs Henry, in my mind. I think Bradley needs Boya, too, against Loyola. Well, yeah. I mean, it's that's another body to throw at him in the post. But, Henry, you're right. I mean, we both love him. He's one of the, one of the best athletes in the league, and he can do so many good things for them. But 
Um, really, as I think I'm, I think this was, and, and we haven't found out who won this game because it's the middle of the Missouri State Drake game. But to me, this is the most impressive series so far this year. Um, Drake can have something to say about that here in about 15 minutes or so. But to me, this is the most impressive series so far to go on the road to Bradley, get both games. When a Bradley was coming in, absolutely hair on fire after losing their rival like the way they did. Um, this kind of cements Loyal as, I mean, they're right there at the top with Drake as one of those teams to beat. This was a series that we looked at and we were texting that. So we've talked about these tiers, the two-team tier, um, <laughs> pending what happens in the Missouri State-Drake um, second game. But if Drake holds on, it's it's two tiers. Yeah, it was a it was a big a big win for big win for Loyola. I'm, I'll be really curious to see what Bradley does next week, where um, things don't necessarily get any easier for them. So moving on to Monday, January 25th, um, I'm just going to say the score and move on. Northern Iowa played Coe College, which I'm assuming that's in Iowa, but I have zero clue. They won 70 to 60. So moving on to the <laughs> <laughs> um, SIU Indiana. Go ahead. I mean, I lose only one by ten at home to a whatever division co is. I'm not. You're not reading anything into no, that. No, I'm not reading anything into it. Right. Um, it's a game. I'm sticking with our um, go Panthers. <laughs> yeah, go, I mean, obviously go Panthers. <laughs> but I'm sticking with our. We don't talk about non D1 games. I'm sticking with that uh, that podcast. Um, I know. Rule. I had I had to say something. <laughs> Um, Northern Iowa fans just love me. Yeah, um, I'm sure uh, there's a, a certain fan that's been on our podcast that's definitely cussing you under his probably, breath right now. Probably. <laughs> so let's move on to SIU and uh, the Sycamores, Monday, Tuesday tilt. Um, so this was the first uh, game for SIU after being down with COVID for 21 days. Um, also kind of interesting, no Marcus Damask um, or Dembele. Yeah, tough, tough one for Damask uh, not being in there, and I don't think they're, he's going to play this uh, upcoming weekend either. So SIU dropped the first one, 66-69. As a Saluki fan, I was excited that they, they were in this game the whole time. Um, they didn't trail more than four the whole game, um, and the game had 13 lead changes. Uh, Trey Williams at the end with a little over a minute left to go, he hit a three. Um, Baker, he's only shot five threes this season, and that was just a straight dagger for the Salukis. Um, Lance Jones and Tyreek Key um, for SIU and Indiana State uh, both were the leading scores and rebounds for their respective teams. Uh, for SIU, Jones had 25 points, Phil Witch had 12, for Plinkett had 11. Um, and it was a, really, for me, it was a tough game for Trent Brown. Um, he had three points. We needed more out of him, um, especially with Damask being down. Um, for Indiana State, like I said, Tyreek Key had 23, LaRavia 16, Trey Williams with 13, and Cooper Neese with 12. Pretty balanced attack for the Sycamores. In the second game, um, I jokingly, uh, I, I said this in our interview um, with Todd Golden, and uh, I, <laughs> I had 7.05 stuck in my head. Um, I wanted to blame it on the Eastern time zone. It didn't even start at, it wasn't even that. It was an early game and I was working and I was like, oh, I'm gonna go catch the second half. And I turned on, I was like, oh, that's a final and we lost by <laughs> or 12. And so SIU lost 59 to 71, got to watch the replay. But anyway, it's not the same as in the moment. SIU was up six early in the first half, but uh, Indiana State had a two point halftime lead in the second half. The Salukis stuck around, but never really got it within striking distance at the Sycamores took a double digit lead. For SIU, Trent Brown had 13, Jones and Phil, which each had 10. 
Indiana State, five players with double-digit points. LaRavia with 20. Nice and Miller Jr. with 11. Trey Williams and Larry, who we talk about a lot in the interview with Todd Golden, um, each had 10. Yeah. Um, tough one for Southern Illinois to come back after all those days off and not have no mask. I think you summed it up pretty well. I don't want to pretend like uh, I know more about the Salukis and want to really give much analysis there. Um, but I, I was impressed as well with them. I think coming out of coming out without with all the days off playing really well um indiana state just keeps it rolling both wins um i think we need to start talking about them as as maybe being in that mix to just they're not even in the thursday conversation right i mean another couple wins i mean they're they're white hot they're five out of their last six um in the second half of that game on was it tuesday Mm -hmm. right is it tuesday or monday whenever the second game was i don't care um indiana state kind of took over in the second half and didn't look back um I really like Julian Larry. I know that he got a lot of pub early in the year, and he had some struggles there early in the Valley season, but I really like what I'm seeing out of him. I thought that that, that might have been his breakout game. We talked to Todd about that as well. Um, as for the Salukis, I think that in the second game, not having your go-to guy kind of showed up a little bit more under the books for them. But uh, as a Saluki fan, i got to ask the question, and I know you don't want to answer it, but whatever. Here we go. Um, are they in the Thursday conversation for sure now? They're in the conversation. I mean, I think I mentioned it. I mean, they've only played six games, and by only, I mean, Valpo has played five. So we're kind of trending there uh, with some of the teams that have been down. Um, but, I mean, if you look at the standings, uh, which is hard to do. I mean, Valley fans, I mean, chime in on how hard <laughs> it is to look at the standings um, and make any type of uh, inferences there. Shout but, out to Indiana State for getting ten games in so far, yeah, though. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, technically in last place. Um, so I think you have to be in the conversation there. Um, I Honestly, for the future of our program, I don't want to rush Marcus Damask back. Um, I think we're building for something bigger than this year, um, especially in a year that's going to have a lot of question marks around it. I totally agree with you. I think that that's um, nothing I've seen in the past couple of games. I, I don't believe in Mullins either. Yep. And, you know, one thing I want to mention is, like, this is kind of a coming out party for Filowich. Um, he, I think he was newcomer of the week. Uh, for the Valley, and so I'm really impressed with this freshman. There's been a lot of comparisons of Crutwig with him, um, and I, I don't see him yet uh, because I think Crutwig was way more influential his freshman year than uh, Phil Witch. But you know, as a Saluki fan, I'm excited about uh, Kyler. Yeah, we didn't, and we never really talked a ton about him early in the season. But uh, the one guy that we did, and I and I feel like he's been a little quieter for Southern Illinois has been Harvey. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I know you might know a little more than me about that, but he had a couple of good games in Valley play, but other than that, he's been relatively quiet. Maybe it's teams are starting to get the book on him, and maybe you'll see that uh, kind of ramp up. But I don't know. He, he kind of felt like he influenced the game a lot more during the non-conference. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I was high on him very early season. I still am. I think he was impacted by the COVID, um, just being down okay. um, a lot by that. So I don't want to look too much on this first series. Yeah. But yeah, for the Lucas to be successful, they need more out of him. And I even mentioned like with Trent Brown, they're going to need you know that first game back. He had three points. I mean, he's averaging way more than that. So just going to need more of it. We need more offense. But I think I expected more out of Harvey too. And without Damask in there, is he yeah. kind of he kind of felt like he was. Almost even more than like Jones or anybody else, he was kind of taken over as that second option for yep. Southern Illinois when things chips were down. So it's funny as a Saluki fan, like I'm always praying <laughs> for more offense because I know the defense is going to be there. So you know I can always just say we need more offense, and that's just a blanket statement. But that's what I love about being a Saluki fan is that we know the defense is going to be there. Good opportunity for the Salukis coming up, which we'll talk about soon. 
All right, Valley fans, we just got done watching the nightcap, second game of the Drake-Missouri State game. Drake completed the sweep, and I think it's official. We have a two-team lead. Yep. All right, so uh, let's just get into the series as we always do. Um, Drake at Missouri State. Drake in the first game, 68, Missouri State 61, um, ended the Bears' 10-game home win streak. If you're into gambling, Drake is still perfect against the spread after some uh, the game we just got done watching, uh, late-game heroics by uh, Tremel Murphy. But anyway, uh, so the definition of this, the first game was a tale of two halves. Uh, Missouri State was riding high heading into the locker room, uh, up 41-26, but Drake came out on a mission starting the half on a 16-4 run. Mosley righted the Bears' ship momentarily with back-to-back -back field goals to cut the lead by seven with 10 minutes to play. Free throws and a three by Roman Penn resulted in a five-point lead for Drake with three minutes to play in the game. The Bears uh, went ice cold from the field with 11 straight shot attempts without a field goal. Uh, for Drake, uh, Roman Penn had 20, Brody had 16, Tink Hemphill had 12, and Sturts off the bench had 13 for Missouri State. Prim had a double-double, 18 and 16, Mosley had 17, and Sharp had a career night with 13 points. And the game we just got done watching, um, pretty uh, balanced attack for Drake. Drake is really freaking good, and we're going to talk about it here in a little bit. Drake had a, if my math is right, a nine-point lead going into the half, um, and then, I mean, second half, I mean, Roman Penn, I mean, had a heck of a half uh, for them, so just getting into um box score here before we talk about this series. Tank Hempel, 24 points. Roman Penn, 18 points. DJ Wilkins, 11 points. Tramel Murphy, 10 with a posterizing dunk over Gage Prim, which will likely be on the SC Top 10. Uh, for Missouri State, I mean, Gage Prim had a heck of a game. He had 20. Mosley had 23. And Ritter and Hervey both had 10 each. Wow. Um... Most impressive sweep of the Valley regular season now um, goes we, against... We were between Loyola and Bradley. Yeah, so the, we thought Loyola and Bradley, this one's more impressive. In Absolutely. Um, especially in front of a crowd and on the road coming off of the layoff that Drake had. Um, first game was that they got down early. They were down... What were they down at half? I don't even I don't even remember what the... You'd probably find it quicker, but um, they were down quite a bit at half, and they got down really big against... I think they were down 17 at one point mm -hmm. in, the, in the first half against uh, Missouri State in the first game. Drake came back, fought hard, and it was one of those... Once they got back in, they got the lead, they took it, and they, they ran at the end and won the game. Second game was a little different. Um, Drake got up, and kind of steadily, we even talked about it at halftime, we were saying that it felt like one of those slow Drake methodical wins that they were just going to kind of extend the lead as they go. Um, hats off to Missouri State after losing as the way they did in that first game, blowing the big lead, coming back and playing so hard in the second game. Uh, to me, that proves that Missouri State is in that top echelon in the league, just underneath the top two. Uh, but impressive uh, win for Drake. I thought that the DJ Wilkins hit those two threes toward uh, like with about four or five minutes left in the second half. Those were huge because Missouri State was just trying to get back over the hump to try to either tie or take the lead. And um, I think they actually know Missouri State did have the lead. And then DJ Wilkins just came back and hit another three. And it was those two shots were just huge. And then obviously Roman Penn at the end of the game um, does what he does. Um, mm -hmm. Drake's awesome. They're the best team in the league um, to this point. They're 15 and 0. 
six and only league. This is just a really good team. I mean, what, what else can we say about them? It, it almost they have like so it, many people. It's a business trip. Like I was just watching the post game, just handshakes. The coaches walk out the court, and it was just kind of like, "Yep, we came here to do what we did." That's like what I took away from just Coach DeVries's just mannerisms. Um, I there was one second ago I forgot who called a timeout. It must have been Missouri State. Dana Ford, yeah. Um, and DeVries, like I read his uh, lips. He's like, "Just don't do something stupid." We're up, <laughs> whatever. I think it was seven at the yeah. time. Yep. And just, like, just don't do something stupid. So it's it's truly like they've got a program going, mm-hmm. and I'm excited to see what Drake can do. And it was interesting. The first game, Brody had a really good game. He had the double double, and then the second game he got into foul trouble. I think he had three in the three fouls in the first half, and it was. Um, he wasn't quite as effective. I know he had 14 rebounds in the second half. Um, but, yeah, I it's, – it's just hard to – it's hard to say enough enough good things about Drake. They have so many different guys even off the bench with Sturts, Yesifu. I mean, these guys come in off the bench and just, just play awesome. They bring great minutes. Um, Yesifu had a bad. He didn't have a great game in the second one, but just watching him in the in the first half when he came in, he gave him good minutes. He slashed the lane, good athlete, and um, kind of made his imprint on the game. Even though he, you know, he was one for six. Um, I give a lot of credit to Dana Ford to getting them to play really hard the second game. Um, like we said, tough first one, but um, all in all, Drake best team in the league. Absolutely. All right, uh, something we've started doing this season is just power rankings after each uh, episode or during each episode after the week's games. So we haven't talked about uh, standings. Uh, we jokingly said off-air after last week. is like, I don't think we've talked about like the actual league standings this entire season, which is hard as a Valley fan, right? Because you've got Drake at 6-0 and right now at the top of the Valley, but you've got Loyola right behind him at 6-7. and um, You also have a Valpo team who has played five games. And you have SIU in last place at one and five playing six games. So there's just such imbalance on just the Valley season. So it's really hard to look at the standings and try and uh, talk through that. But real quick before we get into power rankings, so technically it's Drake and Loyola, um, six and zero oh and six and one. Then you've got Missouri State at five and three and Indiana State at five and five, who's played <laughs> ten games. And so uh, after that, Evansville, Bradley, Valpo, U and I, Illinois State, SIU. For those keeping track at home, the Thursday night teams. If the season were to end today, Valpo would play SIU and U and I and Illinois State would play. But we don't care about that right now. Let's get into power rankings, Baker. Yeah. So power rankings. I think that's a pretty obvious one and two. Um, Drake one, Loyola two. I, I'm just going to keep Drake's, – Drake's not moving until they lose. So, um, And it was interesting that I sent out a tweet after the Loyola win against Bradley, the second one. Um, you're up, Drake, to try to impress the league. And sure enough, Drake 2-0, uh, two huge wins over Missouri State. Um, at number three, this one is going to be a little different, but I'm going to go with the Indiana State Sycamores. Winning five out of their last six. They've looked really good. They have a win over Loyola. Um, they've kind of righted the ship and – um, I think that they've kind of moved themselves into that spot where they're not even thinking about Thursday really. Is um, Two more wins for them. I think that that'll really solidify them. At four, I'm going to go with the Missouri State Bears. I know they're coming off two tough losses, but they went toe-to-toe with the best team in the league, and neither game was a blowout, and Drake had been beating the breaks off teams, and they didn't with Missouri State. Give Missouri State credit, especially in the second game. Um, really, really pleased with their performance. 
this is where it gets a little harder to rank these teams in the league. I think the top four was going to be easy. And then after this, it, I'm going to go with Evansville just because I know they didn't play. But um, the other teams below them, start, it's, it's kind of like they didn't do as well. So it's hard to put them higher. So I'm going to go with Evansville at number five. At number six, I'm going to go with the Bradley Braves. I still think Bradley's really good. They were out a couple of their really key players. Kind of disappointed that they lost their last three games, uh, especially to Illinois State, who's obviously not as good. But I, I still have enough faith in Bradley at number six. And number seven, I'm going to move up the uh, Valpo Crusaders. Uh, getting two games uh, finally uh, finally after losing a player um, to shutting down his season. Coming in getting two games, really tough for them. They've only played five games. So I, I think that the, the jury's out on Valpo right now. Um, after that, we've got the bottom three. I'm going to go with Southern Illinois at number eight because – uh, I still think that they're probably better than Valpo, but without Domask, they they lost two games to Indiana State. I would like to see them pick up a couple more wins. It's interesting that their season they were what seven and zero at one point, mm-hmm. and and now they're seven and five. So, uh, and then rounding out the rest of the league, I'm going to go with Northern Iowa at number nine, and my Illinois State Redbirds. Even though they had the big win against Bradley uh, to drop the two to Valpo at home was where they you know they had an opportunity to kind of get themselves out of the thursday conversation uh not able to get it done so i have illinois state sitting at 10. yeah so i'm looking at the last week um so the big movers for you this week are indiana state that's the biggest one um going up two spots from fifth to third Uh, that's your biggest mover of the week um i don't necessarily disagree with this um this upcoming week is going to be very interesting for standings um, you've got kind of SIU playing Northern Iowa at home. Can SIU right the ship? Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a good storyline because I, a split or a sweep by you and I kind of sets SIU back and vice versa. Yeah. Um, I think that's that's probably the biggest Thursday implication. No doubt about it. For I me. I think it's an opportunity for both teams to try to avoid Thursday. Yep. And they, they, I think both teams desperately need to get a sweep. Yes. Um, I think the um, the interesting one for me is Bradley Valpo. I think that's a sneaky good game tomorrow, the twenty eighth. Um, how Valpo's kind of righted the ship. They played a, a, a not a not good Illinois State team on the road. They got Bradley at home. Bradley's kind of limping a little bit. Um, I don't know if Jayshon Henry or Boy is going to be back, but that's a very sneaky good game. Currently, Bradley's a five-point favorite. Um, for me, I mean, I don't hate any of this, but... Uh, it's I, hard, and Evansville is really tough, too, because where do you put them? Yeah, I mean, they're sitting idle. Uh, they, they, they've played eight games, though. Like, you look at them, they've actually played eight games. So, we have a bigger sample size. So, it's yep. it's a, let's uh, let's get into the games for let's, this. Yeah, game, let's get into the games, sorry. Because we're kind of we're, we're already on that, so yeah. might as well just let's, let's roll with it. Yeah, so let's start tomorrow. Um, the nightcap after... So, the podcast will um, air tomorrow morning, and then we'll watch them at 6 o'clock. Bradley at Valpo. It's a one game. Um, thoughts? Really interesting matchup. This is a one-gamer because... Uh, looks like they're splitting their matchups. I think because mm-hmm. it's in uh, it's at Valpo, right? Correct. It's okay, at the so. Arc. Thank you, uh, Paul Warren. <laughs> the Arc. Um, so they're actually going to make two different trips to Valpo, which is interesting how they're doing the schedule. But mm-hmm. um, like we've said, Valley being proactive, let's get as many games as we can in. When we got a date, we can get one in. Let's get it in. Yep. Um, so a little Thursday night hoops in the Valley. Not out, not going to be upset with that. Uh, I'm going to pick Bradley because. If they're not desperate, they, they sure as heck should be going into this game because um, 
boy, if things start sliding for Bradley, and what if they thought, a team that thought they'd be in the top echelon, you know, due to injuries, what if they start slipping to the Thursday conversation? I mean, they're three and four in the league right now. A couple more losses, that's, I mean, they're in that mix. I mean, especially. Oh, they're in the mix. They're in the, they're, that's the, that's the thing I didn't think we'd ever get to is Bradley's starting to kind of think Thursday isn't like totally out of the question. In a weird year, it's not. Um, I'm actually going to go with Valpo. Okay. Uh, because I think Bradley will catch fire towards the end of the season, mm-hmm. uh, kind of like what they normally do. And so this is, I think this is another uh, hiccup. Um, so I'm going to go Valpo. Fair enough. All right, moving on to the weekend slate, starting Saturday, January 30th. I can't believe January is already almost over. Um, Northern Iowa travels to Southern Illinois in the Bantera Center. Uh, we talked about it a little bit. This series scares me as a Suki fan. Not gonna be, uh, I'm not going to lie here. Damask, um, for all, all indications are he will not be playing. That's big. Um, not having Damask in this game is going to be really big. I like the fact that you're at home. Um, but Under no fans. You're still in your own building. Um, that's a tough one. I'm going to say split on these two games, but whew, I would not be shocked if Northern Iowa can get both. And I know that's weird for me to say because I've been harder on Northern Iowa, but if without Domask, if Northern Iowa, maybe they get a little bit of momentum after the win over Co. who knows? Yeah, I'm. this game worries me. Uh, the matchup I'm looking at is Philwich, who newcomer of the week, uh, versus Fife. I think that's going to be the natural one. Um, Phil, which is very foul prone, and so I just don't know if SIU has a big man to throw at five, and that's going to be the matchup I'm looking at. A split I'm happy with. Um, uh, I'm Both these happy- teams need a sweep. Yeah. After being off 21 days, I'm happy with the way SIU showed up against Indiana State, um, mm-hmm. a team that you're very high on. So I think there's enough good things going on that a, a sweep for the Silkies is not out of the question, but I, I think it is a split. Um, also, so moving on to the... Would you be of, shocked either way? Yes, yeah, sweep no. either way or no. a split. I, I think that I think that's the thing for us. Like, it, my 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 personal opinion. I think Northern Iowa has a lot of really good players. Like next year, if AJ Green comes back and Burhau comes back, like, this is going to be a really good team right yep. at the top of the league. So they have a lot of good players. Um, maybe they're catching Southern Illinois at the right time. But then again, like you said, they played well against Indiana State at times. So um, re- I think that's some that's going to be so fascinating this weekend. And then um, probably the second most interesting uh, series is, or no, sorry, the first most interesting weekend series for me is Loyola at Missouri State. So the Bears are staying at home after getting swept by Drake. You've got the, the, you know, 1A and 1B coming in (laughs) back-to-back weekends. Missouri State's got to be hyped because you don't get a break here. Um, Missouri State will quickly move down the standings if – they kind of take a weekend off. I mean, not mm-hmm. that they're going to, but this is this is a gauntlet for them. This they could be five and five real fast, um, and I think they will. I think Missouri. I think Loyola is playing really well, um, and I, I liked what I saw tonight out of Missouri State. But losing two close games to the undefeated team at the top of the league, God's got to do a lot to your to your mental your mental just because. I mean and. You've got to be so deflated after mm-hmm. both of those games, and um, it'll be a it'll, it'll be up to Dana Ford to get them going, get them ready to rock and roll. Because I mean, like you said, it doesn't get any easier. I, I'm going to say sweep by Loyola, but um, I wouldn't be shocked. I would yeah. the only thing that would shock me is if Loyola dropped both of these. I wouldn't be stunned if Missouri State wins either one, but I'll say Loyola sweep. Yep, I'm with you on that. 
Um, let's move on to Illinois State at Drake. <laughs> I mean, there's no indication that thinks Drake is going to stop rolling. Um, I think they might break the against the spread um, streak here. But Ooh, that's going to be a big number. Um, it's going to be a. That's why I think. What do they say? Great teams cover. <laughs> yeah, um, but nothing there. But I mean, this could, this is big for Illinois State. Like they got embarrassed at home by a Valpo, a comparable Valpo team. Yep, and I think the and we talked about it earlier about the tweet that Dan Muller said. Well, maybe that does something to them. Maybe yeah. they come out ready to play. Maybe Drake after having these really two tough tough battles. I mean, this they come in, they think okay, Illinois State's coming in, um, but I mean. We've said it all year. Illinois State has players. It's not yeah. like they. It's not like they got a bunch of scrubs out there. They've got really good basketball players. Like DJ Horn is they, one of the best guards in the league. We've seen them play together for one game. Exactly. And uh, I mean, I think they're going to get swept. Um, I don't think that there's any way either one of us can pick Illinois State to win either of these games. But right. um, you know, as an opt, as as I put my Redbird hat on and try to be optimistic, um, maybe maybe what Dan Miller said gets them fired up and maybe they can make one of the games competitive. Sure. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. Let's move on to the Indiana um, Classic here. Valpo at Evansville at the Ford Center. Um, very intriguing matchup here. Um, I'm going to go with split because I just I think it's going to split. I think it's going to split, too. It's a hard one to call. It's, yeah, uh, like you can't say someone's going to sweep. Because what, if, what if Valpo can beat Bradley and then sweep Evansville? Like what is that? That just changes everything we thought of for the whole season. But um, I agree. I think split. I think Evansville's good enough guard wise. Um, them having a little bit of time off kind of makes me a little bit nervous for them. But um, I think Evansville at home, since they're at home, I think that they find a way to at least get one of the two. Yep. Teams aren't as bad coming off of COVID, like being down from COVID, as I thought they would be this season. And Drake and SIU are. My cases um, this week. Yeah, I mean, and Drake was bad in the first half, but they figured it out during game. Right. So that yeah. was like kind of, and I think we were kind of on that line where after a COVID layoff, you were bad because looked at what Bradley did at Northern Iowa, and we at the time thought, you know, maybe Bradley should have been should have swept that series, which I still think they should have. But you're you're right. I think that maybe the COVID isn't necessarily as bad, but but we'll see. It should be interesting. Bradley Indiana State. Whew. This is a very intriguing <laughs> matchup here. I who's going to play for Bradley? Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. If Jay Sean Henry um, or Boya um, don't play, I, I can see a sweep from Indiana State. I don't think Bradley sweeps. I no. think Indiana State can sweep or it can split. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Bradley would be lucky if they get one of these. Um, I'm going to say Bradley gets one because I'm still – I. And maybe I'm, maybe I have this mentality because they've they've won back to back conferences, but they're going to have to get wins somewhere because I can't imagine they're going to get to Thursday. So, right. Um, Indiana State though has been white hot. They've been so good, and if Indiana State can sweep this, I mean, you're not even like Indiana State's not even considering themselves on Thursday. They they're looking at like the three. Yeah, like that's that's where their eyes are looking. So, um, really big couple of games. Um, two teams going in opposite directions, but. Um, I'm going to say split just for, uh, I think I think Bradley finds a way to get one. So let me ask you this. We've talked about a lot of series um, from tomorrow, Thursday the 28th, uh, to Monday the 1st. Do, do we play all these games? Yeah, I'm optimistic. Okay. Well, you know, so I, I want to ask you this, and I think I know your answer because you kind of alluded to it. The series that you're most looking forward to. Because there are five 
awesome matchups. I mean, the Drake Illinois State one's only good to me because I'm a Redbird fan. But like, there's four awesome matchups that we should all be excited to see what happens. Uh, Loyola and Missouri State is the most intriguing to me. Um, but Bradley Indiana State is also very um, spicy. So I'm going to go off the rails here. I think the most exciting one for me is Evansville and Valpo because that would be my third. I'm I'm really I don't know what we're going to get there. It's almost one of those series that I've not I'm I'm this mentality that I had both these teams being Thursday night teams for sure. If one of those teams sweep in this series, like all bets are off. It's one of those that like when we get if the separation continues with um, Drake and Loyal at the top, mm-hmm. we're going to start playing these. Uh, uh, seeding scenarios in Arch mm-hmm. Madness. And how important are these games? And I know every game matters just the same out of all 18, but when you get down to it, like a, like look, let's look at Indiana State, They're gonna if they get both their games in this weekend, gets them to 12 games, they've only got six left. Um, after this weekend, you know, Valpo is still going to have like 10 games left. So yeah. it's, it's going to be interesting because if you're a Valpo, you're looking ahead like, okay, we have four more opportunities to get wins where Indiana State's only got six. You know, and we're going to start looking at the kind of that's when the standings are going to become really interesting for me. Well, we started talking about it last week in the sense that um, a split with Illinois State and Valpo, you know, solidif- solidifies, and I'm using air quotes, uh, bad po- podcasting, but it would have solidified them to Thursday, we thought. But now we're talking about Valpo, like, not even looking back at Thursday. Right. That's, you know? <laughs> but now this SIU UNI series this upcoming weekend is huge for Thursday implications. And I know we, we talked about we talked about Illinois or uh, Northern Iowa as being, like, a for-sure Thursday team. Mm-hmm. They went two against Southern Illinois. Like, all of a sudden, now you're thinking, wow, Northern Iowa? What if they... In Start playing tiebreakers in your what head? If, and you're like, what I, if in the final four games, they find a way to go five and three and find a way to maybe get off of Thursday, get that six seed? It, I think it's going to be so jumbled from, like, yeah. three to ten is going to be just crazy. Like, I, the only team that, in my mind, looking at their schedules, looking at the records right now, the only team that I'm pretty confident on Thursday is Illinois State. Yeah. And I think that every single other team has an opportunity to avoid Thursday still, um, which is just wild. And I think we're going to talk more next week on our podcast. Next week's um, going to tell us a ton. Well, yes, exactly, after we get on with these games. This has been episode 18 of the Martial Arch Podcast. On this episode, we had Todd Golden from the Tribune Star, beat writer for Indiana State Sycamores, we talked through games, we previewed games as we normally do, and we just started scenario planning, which um, it's way too early for that, but hey, we're Valley fans, so we're going <laughs> to do that. And really, a lot of our conversations centered around Thursday night games. One more thing that we never really talked about. Um, do you, and I know that we're about to do our close, so this is kind of a segment, just like a kind of an off-the-cuff segment, but I wanted to kick it in real quick to you. Um, for... Drake and Loyola can either one of them avoid can either one of them get an at-large bid in your opinion if they lose a non-Drake or Loyola game it has everything to do with the net okay I think that I think they're both high I think what are they 12 and 30 in the net respectively yep so I I think I was just I'm starting it's one thing I think we'll talk about next week a lot more once these games get played yeah is we can really talk about um whether or not there's you know two team it's it could be a two bid league um even three if if there's there's, there is a road because I assume when I start this this segment that people just turn off the podcast but you know what I'll tease it out there um 
I think, depending on what happens this week, there's a three-bid valley um, path. I totally agree with you. I think that we there's there's certain things that have to happen, and we'll talk about that next week because we're getting closer and closer to the big matchup in Des Moines in a, about a couple weeks now. But uh, anyway, uh, good podcast. If uh, anyone you wants to find out where we're at, marchthearchpodcast.com, at marcharchpod, at marcharchbaker on Twitter. Uh, love interacting with you guys. Uh, you know, just it's it's so much fun. We're we're in the middle of Valley Hoop season, and uh, you know, you just can't beat it, fans. Absolutely. So with that, go Valley. Start talking about the valley. Why not?